Welcome to Happiness 2.02 podcast. I'm your host, John Tuckums, founder, author, World Government Summit participant, and Forbes featured TEDx speaker, an inquisitive human who loves root knowledge. Happiness 2.02 is a mental health show for entrepreneurs that provides the full human cognition and the full breathing oxygen tools to rapidly shift states of mind and increase energy. Podcast guests include organization founders, world-renowned executives, MDs, PhDs, and remarkable leaders who have incredible stories and are helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen. You're listening to Happiness 2.02. This is your host, John Tuckums. You're listening to Episode 8 with Tim Chang. Tim is a partner at Mayfield Fund, is a driving force behind many social impact initiatives, and is a keynote speaker. While you're listening to this podcast, if anything stands out to you as thought-provoking or remarkable, take a screenshot and write down what you've heard from Tim. Post the insight on social media, text the idea to a friend, or email what you've learned to a family member. Get this information out there. Without further ado, Episode 8 of Happiness 2.02 Podcast with Tim Chang. So Tim, time is a finite resource. Underline everything that you do across your life, your social impact initiatives, your investments, your speaking engagements. Why do you do what you do? Only what drives you at your core? You know, at my core, I think it all started off with just a sense of curiosity. I've always loved learning. I think my favorite thing when I was a kid is I kind of grew up in public libraries and bookstores were places that brought me tremendous joy. And I used to walk around thinking, wow, these are all the oceans of knowledge I will get to sail upon someday. These days I go into libraries and, and bookstores and kind of think, oh boy, these are the realms I'll never have time to get to. <laughs> but uh, it's that, that fascination, realms of knowledge and also seeing how they all interconnect. The more I do learn about things, one, I learned how little I know about everything, but two, how interconnected they are. Um, and it reminds me of this uh, saying that there is but one mountaintop and infinite ways to get there. Makes me wonder if the study of anything is actually the same as the study of everything and then vice versa. Um, that the further down the rabbit hole you go, that you realize it is the same journey, whether you're mastering the culinary arts or yoga or quantum physics or cryptocurrency. That it's kind of the same hero's journey, just in different contexts. The same universal truths are there. Mm. Is there a particular memory that you have that first time that you entered that bookstore, that uh, or the first book that you picked up, you know, that you picked up that uh, really caught your interest, that uh, really ignited that curiosity or amplified it? You know, there's one story in particular um, is Borges' Library of Babel. And um, in this wonderful short story, it's available in public domain now, but you picture an infinite library of repeating chambers, hexagons, comprised of, you know, the same six bookshelves, same height, same format. The books are all the same length, same, same format. And in one of the books, you know, there, it just says A, 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 all the way through. And there's another mm. book in there that says Z, 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 all the way through. And in between is every possible permutation of letters uh, possible. And through that, you could say every possible story, every possible um, scenario exists within that. And that was really mind-blowing to me. It became a metaphor for how I kind of see life now, where mm. everything is an expression of that library of Babel. All the possibilities are playing out. Arguably, the Big Bang is but consciousness trying to explore itself by playing out all the possible configurations of, a, of celestial bodies. And getting to that core of recognizing there's a tremendous amount of interconnectivity. What ultimately, as you, you know, in terms of guiding your actions across you know, initiatives, investments, 
you know, ultimately, what are you trying to do based on that, that knowledge that you've acquired over time, recognizing that you have an important part of it, but it's not that full picture. Uh, what do you want to do with, um, you know, the knowledge, the, you know, the initiatives, the, the actions that you're taking day to day? I would love to see what part I can play in helping people be healed and whole such that they can be free to find their form of expression, their form of play, their joy, utilizing the gifts that are unique to them. Um, and then with that, perhaps that can lead to inspiration to apply those gifts that, that play that joy in service to others to help them heal. And to me, that's the virtuous cycle that maybe ties the whole thing together. That's why we're mm -hmm. all here. We serve as mirrors for each other, reflecting the best and the worst. And we serve as witnesses and, and really co-learning <laughs> cohorts uh, to help each other kind of heal wounds and then be free to express those gifts. So that's, that's sort of the dance I think we're in. Yeah, beautifully said. Uh, in terms of, uh, you talked about heal and whole. Have you gone through, uh, in terms of your, your own journey, you know, it's, you know, life has its ups and downs. Uh, have you had periods that, um, you know, of adversity that, uh, um, you know, that, you know, you've experienced that are really part of that journey, uh, that, uh, really that, that effort going forward is to, to help others to really, you know, based upon your experiences, if you share just any context around what you've kind of, as part of your life story, and that's, that's fed into this, um, curiosity and inspiration with inside of yourself, uh, but, you know, unpack a little bit of your adversity. Sure. Um, you know, I think it even comes from epigenetic memory and, and, and our genes. I come from a line of nation builders and leaders and, and educators and people who are very intellectually curious. Um, probably stoic at times, not necessarily as emotionally expressive. That was a trait of the men in my family. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah, I, I've lived a pretty blessed life and I really grateful for everything. Um, I, was born the son of immigrant uh, academics and you know it's kind of the usual strict tiger parenting and it was sort of everything was about getting good grades and wasn't necessarily the warmest of households it wasn't filled with hugs or statements of i love you but it was yeah. more tough love kind of uh, format you know that formed patterns in me of needing external validation and always um, trying to play by other people's rules and be scored the best according to external scorecards. It's taken me a while, still learning to unwind it. <laughs> um, mm. But uh, yeah, uh, for, for me, a lot of, I think, challenges in adversity were self-created. I think part of me has always felt a bit like an alien or a stranger in this world. You know, all of us probably experienced that at times. Like, do I belong here? You know, um, mm -hmm. that's otherworldly feeling. Um, it's, it's strange being human sometimes. But, uh, you know, on, on top of that, I think living and working, you know, in this framework where I was never really passionate about money or, you know, kind of that type of recognition or fame, I think I was more interested in freedom. Maybe many of us are. Mm. Um, I like to say sometimes that uh, earlier in life, there's one of three F's that drive us. It's get activated the desire for fortune, fame, or freedom. And it's very hard to get all three together. I think I verged more on the freedom side. Um, but kind of uh, found that perhaps fortune is a path to get there. And so when I did start caring about money, um, I, I probably drove myself into a bit of depression. You know, I was mm. working hard uh, for the sake of this outcome as opposed to enjoying the journey. Um, when I was younger, you know, I think I was more in a creative bent. I 
dreamed of being a professional musician or actor or creator, um, mm. but was told, you know, you can't pay rent that way. So, you know, went into engineering because I was good at, at math and science and, and I did like it, but don't know that it was generally my passion. Um, and so always have that trade off of like a bit of imposter syndrome, a bit of feeling like a bit of a sellout, you know, yep. um, you know, I even have that as a venture capitalist. Uh, it is, you know, seen as this position as a gatekeeper, and it is often one with tremendous privilege for sure. But I think in my heart, I would have probably rather been an entrepreneur. Perhaps mm-hmm. I sold out by not taking that chance and going all the way with that. Uh, so I even have doubts about that as, man, could I have done better in that route? I think we'll, yeah, yeah. All, of it, all of us battle that, right? The grass is greener on the other side. For sure, for sure. <laughs> and, and would you kind of encapsulate that? It was, you know, based on your upbringing, uh, internal forces, external, uh, you know, with good intent, you know, generally speaking, I imagine it's the case. Uh, is it, was it a strive for per- perfection that really it's not achievable and was that part of the piece where uh you had heavier kind of weights on you you talked about kind of you know, kind of depressive feelings etc from time to time um would that is that strive for perfection which was that that bar is always further than you you can attain uh you describe it that way there's part of that for sure and then um you know when you start to care about making money, then you start to really care about how you're seen and how you're scored by others. And then uh, you know you put you put that hustler suit on and you're always hustling and working hard until it becomes a routine um, without asking much of a why behind it. I, I get really caught up in the what, the who, the how much, the where, the whens, but maybe many of us don't always have a clear sense of why. It's very powerful when you meet somebody who's really attuned with their inner why and it, it's very solid. I don't mm-hmm. know that I had that earlier on. It's probably something I've discovered more of recently and it's made a big difference in how I approach life. But um, yeah, that there is, there's also a strive for perfection. I candidly can't tell if that's from the conditioning of being trained to ace every test and get A plus mm-hmm. in every class and whatnot versus what I genuinely enjoy because there is a part of me that really feels tremendous satisfaction and gratification at just self-development and learning and, and, and growing. I'm trying to tune into what that feels like when you do something for the joy of it versus for the performative aspect. And I'll give you a couple quick examples. Um, I grew up playing classical piano, like many <laughs> products of good Asian tiger parents. The mm-hmm. point of it, though, was to earn blue ribbons and get the trophies and prizes at re- competitive recitals. So again, it was performative. Only recently have I started playing piano again just for the sheer joy of it and knowing that no one else will probably hear me play except me and how different it feels when you play just for your own enjoyment. I recently took up archery and and found how meditative it was. And there was a part of me thinking like, I should go do this competitively. I should enter a league. And then uh, the other part was like, just feels so damn good to stand in the sunshine <laughs> and just shoot seven sets of arrows just in a meditative state just for yourself. And I think tuning into that difference of like, I do this for the joy of it, the meditative practice of it, even if no one's looking versus how it feels when this is performative and I need validation, I need to be scored, I need yeah. recognized for it. There's a really a shift from, you know, there's an internal drive amplified by external factors that, oh, you know, you're, you know, you're making grounds uh, in the investment world, et cetera. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of a pressure that builds, but it's also self-fulfilling because as more people see you being successful, uh, you're making ground, then you having more of a need to kind of perform at higher levels. 
Uh, and so and with the, the shift now to taking space for yourself, uh, was there a moment in time, uh, you know, last year or two years where you're just like, okay, I'm going to carve out more space for, for myself. Uh, you know, do you remember a, a point in time recently where that, uh, you know, you had that moment? Yeah, I think, you know, candidly, many of us probably fantasize about some magic number, some financial escape velocity figure that we get to and then, and then we can be more free. And I think there is some truth to that. Money cannot buy happiness, but it can buy a certain critical mass of maybe security and risk tolerance that you can take. Um, it took me 20 years, but I, I did get to, you know, a level that uh, I never thought I'd achieve in my life. And now I feel mm -hmm. incredibly blessed for it. And there's a bit of hollowness to it. It's like, oh my gosh, I could see that this train could keep going and that number would just keep inflating and it would never be enough. Um, yep. And what flipped was then thinking, maybe from here on, I'm just a steward of these resources. This money was never meant for me to hold on to. It's meant to be circulated back out, amplified by me, and maybe it's for others. And so that was kind of a flipping of it into a be of a service lens, you know? Ah, um, gotcha. Right, and, and then it feels really good to think about empowering others versus just yourself. And to me, I think that's one of the keys. Maybe again, Dalai Lama says happiness is being in service, something greater yourself. This I think is, you know, maybe an example of that where one great way to get out of worrying about your own neurotic bullshit is to focus on others. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's tremendous. And that's where, yes, yeah, so that lens where it's so focused on kind of internal gains to show the outside world. And now it's like, Oh, how can I actually help the outside world? And then I uh, imagine almost it's that feeling of freedom inside you that uh, uh, it's kind of creating more space for you to kind of uh, uh, to give back and just be present in your own mind. Because now you can use the abilities that you've developed over the years and now find other ways to apply them. That's right. Perhaps. A practice I've tried to, to do is to go into every meeting or discussion or encounter a little bit more curiously. And what I mean by that is even setting aside my own agenda, you know, the usual algorithm is running that cost benefit and what can you do for me and what's the, what's the, what's the benefit potentially long term of this relationship versus others and how do I prioritize this? But if you set that aside and go in and genuinely be more curious and have kind of a, a creative collaboration attitude of, I wonder what synergies might lie here. I, I wonder how might I help you? without obligation to do so, not trying to solve your problems or, or prescribe anything to you, but I wonder what kind of magic might pop up. And uh, a lot of that, I think, um, really stems from being curious and present and being humble, uh, but also coming in, coming in with that, like, let's brainstorm, let's, let's jam mm. on something together. And that, that's something I found, which is really enjoyable is going into every encounter with, I wonder what magic and mayhem may ensue. <laughs> yeah. Just, it's releasing the creative energy that you have inside you that, it just it's just waiting there to uh you know to to apply to and and, and in the present moment so it's not like oh, i'm just going to hold off to that point in time you can actually tap into that energy at any moment in time and uh, you know even in a, like a business kind of business setting i have a question related to related to uh freedom and uh, kind of what gets you into flow states and you kind of hinted upon music uh you've hinted upon uh really being curious as part of that but uh what are some of the things that, uh, you know, as you've gone through this journey of really understanding how you are working inside this world, making financial gains, 
you know, successful and realizing that, oh, there's still something more here and shifting focus now to, you know, how can I help other people as well? Tapping into this creative energy. What uh, gets you into flow states, whether it's music or these experiences? But if you could kind of share that a little bit more about that, it'd be great. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> I, I love brainstorming free flow, you know, creative collaboration sessions. Those are where I feel most at home. Um, sometimes that's at TED or sometimes at Burning Man uh, or Maker Faire. Um, but a, a lot of my flow experiences tied back to those seminal uh, pursuits of music and, and acting improv. Um, mm. I actually, I think I've learned a lot about even the business world or organizational development and management through, believe it or not, just playing in bands for most of my life. Um, that flow, that freedom I found came from not necessarily being the player with the best chops or, you know, the flashiest musician, uh, but really having a strong sense of your own voice as a musician. Mm. And that's a pursuit in and of itself. I think that's what every artist, every performer, every entrepreneur, every human is trying to figure out is what is my voice? And that's rooted to the cardinal question of who am I? Um, mm -hmm. What is my personal mixtape, if you will, of influences and how have I transmuted them into my own little concoction and expression? And so to get to that, uh, you know, I probably had to do many of those years of classical piano, which gave me the theory in the background to teach myself guitar. And I probably had to woodshed in my bedroom for all those years in high schools, mm -hmm. you know, dissecting Eddie Van Halen solos and all those sorts of things to be able to play that, you know, kind of put in that work, pay your dues to have the facility to start then expressing and developing uh, my own voice. Um, and as you become clearer with your own voice, you get this confidence, which leads to this sort of freedom because you start to understand a sense of what your identity, what your special sauce is. Um, mm. And with that, that makes jam sessions really fun because you come in with something to bring to the potluck, so to speak. And then yeah. you're there tuning into what everybody else is bringing to the potluck and just in that moment seeing what the flavors combine together. Do you know what I mean? So that to me is, is flow. It's a combination of having put in your own dues and that your muscle memory is there, have, uh, understanding your own voice. And then um, with that, being free enough to then be fully tuned into all everybody else's voices and, and seeing how yours contributes. Yeah. For, for the audience you know, that you talked about own voice, you talked about uh, as it ties into breathing, what does that feel like to you when you're in that state where, uh, how would you describe it? I know sometimes it's hard to put in the words, but uh, when you're in front of an audience, whether it's small or, or larger, uh, you know, how's your breathing? How does it, you know, how, what does your vision feel like uh, in terms of being able to see the room? Uh, if you could share a little bit about that, that'd be fantastic. Sometimes it's like an out of body experience, honestly. Um, it's kind of like you meld into a group consciousness and there's such a thing as group flow, but in the best moments, it's, it's like that you feel like you're some, a, a group organism bigger than yourself. Mm. You know exactly how you plug in and there's room and space to just breathe. Meaning you don't have to play all the notes. You lean back and you listen, you instinctively know when to chip in. Um, it's an effortless push pull, um, kind of like a, a, a collective voice finding itself. Maybe an example of how people can experience that is if you go to a sound bath or sound meditation, and if you do uh, humming when everybody kind of chants "Om" together, it's amazing how yep. folks find naturally a common tone, and then people you know, figure out which overtones make sense, and this harmonious symphony of voices comes together without an orchestrator or conductor. It just sort of locks in. That's another example of that kind of moment. Mm -hmm. 
And for you, is it, uh, is it uh, from your perspective, is it primarily the breathing or is it the, the vibration as part of the, uh, you know, that shared experience, which kind of, uh, you know, that connects on so many different levels? Um, where do you think that, uh, you know, that connection resonates from? Is it from the, the sound vibrations or is it from you know, a deep, calm breathing that all of a sudden uh, other people pick up on? Uh, do you have any? Go ahead. You know, in, in sound meditations or group meditations, I often find it starts with breath, you know, that synchronized breath in, breath out. It's great for grounding. Um, I have found in musical jam sessions, I'm not even aware of my breath. <laughs> I think I'm so caught mm. up in, in the music. The music becomes the breath, if you will. And, um, you know, uh, with that, there's that pulse, you know, from the, the groove or the, or the drums and everything else that keeps you probably synchronized. And I wonder if there's been studies. I'm curious if there's entrainment that happens on heart rates and whatnot. But, uh, um, you know, it, one thing it makes me think of is I always wondered why is electronic dance music always 128 BPM, you know, or 130 BPM? And it's because yeah. it's matched to the heart rate when you're dancing. Right? Right. So there, there's yeah. a natural synchronization there as well. Um, but yeah, the, there's, there's a, like I said, the out of body feeling. It is physicalized because in the best moments, it's as if you're, you're dancing or doing contact improv, but also with an instrument. And in those moments too, you don't know where your body ends and the instrument begins. It's kind of mm. like they meld together. It's an extension of your physical body, your voice, your soul. That's absolutely tremendous. I'm just, you know, you know, thinking about that experience of that extension of that you know, the musical instrument. Uh, it just, it's uh, absolutely amazing. A question for you related to what are some of the small things that uh, you do to maintain happiness or well-being in your personal life? You know, life has its ups and downs, just like a, you know, we have heartbeats that go that fluctuate. What are some of the small things that you do a part of daily practice or that you've started doing more regularly? Um, you know, just to, to really get you in that, that right spot. So, and allow you to have more of your own space. Morning meditation is always a good one. Even if it's only 15 mm. minutes, ideally 45 minutes to an hour, but even if it's just 15, 20 minutes and there's so many things you can play with in that meditation. There's, um, loving kindness, um, is, you know, uh, different types of compassion. Um, one of my favorites as a gratitude exercise is I picture myself on my deathbed, Maybe I'm 90 years old and I'm imagining that I got the gift to relive one day when I was younger and mm. today is that day. And it's, it's a fun one because it's like, what if today was a gift from your you know, dying self to yourself that you could just relive one of your you know, wonderful younger days? How would you treat yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely amazing. So, uh, so meditation and gratitude exercise, um, you know, do you have a cup of coffee or are there other things where you just carve out time for yourself, uh, go for a walk or these type of things that, uh, yeah. really you've, you've, you've incorporated as part of, it's not that it becomes work to do or you have to do this. It just becomes part of something that gives you that, that extra boost that, you know, that sense of sense of being. Yeah, for sure. Um, journaling has been something I've been picking back mm. up again. Morning pages is a practice in uh, the artist's way. My partner uh, has been doing this for a few months now and it's really inspired me. And it, it feels so good to just get your thoughts out first thing in the day, even if it's as mundane as what happened yesterday, you know, in little details. And, and you do that and it becomes a little life log. Um, but things really do come flowing out. And it's been a wonderful practice that um, I, I highly recommend. It's, it's worth it, even if it's five, 10 minutes, you know, that those mm. morning pages are something wonderful. 
exercise, movement are obviously big part of achieving that daily flow. Um, and then uh, for me, I, <laughs> it's really funny to admit, but there's something special about the first cup of coffee in the morning. I don't know what it yeah. is, but it's just the ritual of it. It's just yeah, something yeah. to look forward to. And um, man, you know, if you can wake up just a little bit early and carve out just 30, even 20 minutes for yourself, you know, you make that cup of coffee and you get that 20, 30 minutes to reflect or meditate or do your morning pages and something about it just kind of sets you right. And, and especially yeah. if you sprinkle a couple of gratitude things in there to recognize the wow of each moment. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I've been curious about that. What is that? When you have that cold cup of coffee, it's not quite the same, but it's the warmth and, you know, it's probably a bunch of elements that are coming together, but uh, um, really just set off that day, as you described. Um, in terms of uh, your your current initiatives, uh, you've gone through this amazing journey of um, you know achieving uh, tremendous uh, accolades. Uh, you've uh, kind of shifted focus to say, okay, how else can I apply this? You know, creating more space for yourself. What are some of the projects that you're you're currently working on um, that are taking your focus? Sure. Um, you know, I continue to co-lead the consumer investment practice at Mayfield, but I've been also carving time for more impact and service work. One of them has been helping uh, co-found a group called North Star Project, which is the first mm. ethical trade association for the coming legalization of the psychedelic industry for medicine mm. and mental health. Um, it's an attempt to try to steward in responsible commercialization. And mm. it's been an amazing process um, to, to analyze, you know, this space, but also uh, interface with elders and wisdom keepers who've been doing this work for generations, even underground. Mm. Uh, very, very humbling. And it really helped me be aware of that statement we stand upon today the shoulder of giants that came before and how important right. it is to honor all that elder wisdom. I think we need to do that in all facets of life, not just psychedelic medicine, but, um, you know, when we see the riots happening today, that really indicates how much we have forgotten or never learned about in terms of the injustice of the history of our country. Um, I'm ashamed to admit, I don't even know what I don't know about mm -hmm. racial injustice, I grew yep. up, you know, suffering from some discrimination in Michigan and whatnot, but there's so much to, 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 to learn and tune into. And that's been one big lesson for me before wanting to quote unquote, save the world or, or do good or, or help, um, be careful to not do harm in the process, which really mm. means you got to slow down and kind of shut up and listen, seek out mentors, seek out people in the field, do your homework, do the reading. Um, and, and get up to speed because the danger is it's really easy to go marching in with, uh, you know, the savior complex or Silicon Valley mindset of we'll just fix it and scale it with technology. And a lot of times that does more damage in the process. So again, curiosity, humility, got to kind of come in with that too. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, so you talked about injustice. Uh, you know, we have uh, the backdrop right now of, you know, an epidemic um, and, and when you choose to work on initiatives, um, you know, is it that same curiosity that uh, you hear you hear across something, uh, you hear about a new initiative, and you know, it just it sparks your curiosity? And do you get into that collaborative state? Is that how you choose uh, often, uh, or is it something that uh, you're like you have a, a more narrow focus at this stage? I'm learning to try to put my collaborative juices on hold uh, at first, meaning. Mm. Like it, my creative thoughts usually spark up. Like, how about this and how about that? But again, back to that notion of, we'll just slow down, <laughs> kind of yeah. shut up and listen 
first, see just how much you can tune into um, the problem set and especially the experience of folks living through it. Um, the ones you quote unquote are trying to help and, and see what wisdom you get from them first, which could take years, honestly. And so I think it's like earning the right to be of service first before uh, going well. in prescriptively. Um, I heard the saying once that, uh, I think it was my friend Naval Ravikant had said, most of the strife in the world is not, you know, evil geniuses or, or, or bad people. It's white knights beating each other up on how, who, who thinks they can save the world in the best way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like the road to hell yeah. is paved with good intentions. So just being yeah. really, really careful of that. Um, and I think in the Valley, we, we, in Silicon Valley, we have a risk of doing that because we're so used to grow at any cost and scale fast and break things. And sometimes when there's reparations needed, that's the last thing you want. Yeah, absolutely amazing. In terms of, uh, uh, you know, initiatives, uh, where can people find you, uh, whether it's a speaking engagement, uh, where's, where's the best uh, way to kind of follow your work, the initiatives that you're working on uh, sure. over yeah. time? I'd love to, yeah, use this opportunity to shine the spotlight on some others that I've been trying to help. And the first one is Northstar.guide, if, uh, and that's part of Orin Project. Um, that mm -hmm. uh, is the attempt to try to bring in um, ethics and, and, and a culture of responsible stewardship of commercialization in psychedelic medicine. That's one. The second is um, um, a group I've been helping out uh, called Corin Team. Um, they were the group of digital volunteers at, that responsible for creating those frames that would say, stay home, it'll save lives that people then apply to all their profile pics on oh, Facebook right, yeah. and everything else. So um, that's a really good group. They're basically there to try to amplify and um, bring volunteers and, and collaborators onto projects for, you know, culture in the time of COVID uh, that help out. And so uh, they're uh, basically called... Uh, um, quarantine.com and they're mm. looking for initiatives to support. Um, the third project I'm involved with, I, I joined the board of reimagine death, which is trying to, um, resource and, and arm the public to have better awareness and tools and, um, sort of processes, understanding for how to process end of life, especially in the age of COVID, we can't meet for funerals anymore. Um, and so that group in conjunction with quarantine recently put out a digital guide to virtual memorials. And that was mm -hmm. pretty powerful because I've had a few friends, you know, in my extended circle pass from COVID in the last few months and joined more digital funerals than I really thought I would. And it was yeah. shocking to see, my goodness, we need all new rites, all new rituals in, in this, in this time now. Um, and so it's been trying to uh, spend some time helping people uh, be able to deal with all that grief that's happening with all the passings from COVID. Yeah. And not be able to see the family members, the life on the other end in that same kind of physical presence. And how do you adapt to that in an environment where that's what you want is that personal touch uh, yeah. from someone at the end of the day? It's like, I just want to you know, I've been so disconnected physically from, you know, in terms of energetic and touching skin, and then how do, as part of my closure, how do I get to the closure? Uh, and that's tremendous that, that you're working on that. Um, and have, have you, have they figured out any ways that, uh, you know, with, with this, uh, you know, documentation that they've, um, kind of any new insights that you want to share with the audience related to, uh, how, how, you know, people as, as they, you know, as we're faced with this backdrop, uh, just some insights that might help them out, uh, you know, that they can look for inside the guide. 
Yeah, that what the guide has provided templates too to help with collective grief processing, but also to have the community rally together to um, memorialize collectively and create kind of like a digital shrine or uh, for you know those who have passed, and those can often live on, and that leads to the notion of potential legacy vaults for people. You know, what mm. might this be a new form of a digital tombstone that lives on? Um, it's also been a collective authoring process where people contribute their photos or dedicate a song or poem. And in that sense, I think it, it's very participatory and very interactive in ways that might not be there if you're just going and sitting in a regular funeral. So perhaps this is even evolving the format of what memorials and funerals could be. Um, this could also maybe someday inform uh, access to services, for example, accesses to uh, death doulas, um, death midwives, um, uh, you know, kind of more memorial services, startups like Better Place that are dedicating trees in forests instead of tombstones for people to be memorialized in a physical marker. So mm. there's going to be innovation even in this so-called end-of-life tech space. Um this might even intersect someday with how Burning Man is going virtual and how the temple at the burn might evolve into a physical and digital format someday. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely amazing. And just I'm trying to envision that, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, it, it manifests itself over time. Uh, in terms of coming kind of full circle about, you know, this amazing journey that you've had that kept incredibly driven, you know, really allowing more uh, space for yourself, n now looking to apply within organizations, uh, you know, through the investment work you do. Uh, and really this, even this, this last one, touching upon how helping people move through the grieving, grieving process and get back to a state uh, of happiness and well-being. Um, with this journey, do you have, is there any kind of uh, uh, parting words for the audience, you know, in terms of the insights that you've really gained over time uh, that you can share with them? I think the biggest one is um, this notion that as within, so expressed without. And so whatever your state, your energy, your traumas, your unprocessed grief, your, your blockages inside, those transmit outward in everything you do because really there is no separation between work life, if you will. Like the, the way that you are with yourself does translate into how you treat those closest to you, your best friends, your loved ones, your family, how you treat your employees, your, your coworkers, um, then, then that will be an extension of how that organization exists with the broader mm -hmm. community. And so it's really about continuing to do the work within and that's a lifelong process but um here's a simple metaphor for it you've ever met somebody who's having a really bad day and they're really grumpy and it's almost like they've got this little storm cloud above them and that negative negativity kind of you know quickly radiates outward and it can like bum mm -hmm. you out and ruin your day right that's just an example of in your internal energy state radiates out like um, basically rippling waves in a pond, right? And mm. interacts with everybody else's energy. Similarly, if you meet somebody who's joyous, kind, compassionate, open, present, like there's a bounce in your step after you walk away from them. Like they've literally brightened your day. And so yeah. it's an example of how your internal energy state affects not just you, but the entire reality around you. And so being tuned into it um, is one step. And then second is then choosing it, you know, powerfully choosing it. Um, you would ask me what makes me happy. There are gratitude practices and whatnot, but also I, I wonder part of it too is a choice to say like, you know what, shit's going to happen today. There's a lot of stuff going on, mm -hmm. but I, I want to be happy, grateful. I want to try to leave this place a little bit better each day 
you know, and, and the, the form of that is probably in some form of helping somebody else or brightening somebody else's day. You know, so it, I know it sounds really trite. It's like one of those fortune cookie sayings, but it's sort of like be the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. The, the difference is you're, you're actually doing it. And that's absolutely amazing. Tim, thank yeah. you for your social impact initiatives, your investments, your speaking engagements and all the happiness oxygen you bring to the world. And a tremendous thank you to all the listeners. As always, this has been your host, John Tuckums. You have made it to the end of the podcast. It's your host, John Tuckums. I want to take this moment to sincerely thank you. I'm incredibly grateful for the time you're taking to invest in your life. And if you gain something valuable from this episode and want to give me value somehow, I would tremendously appreciate if you went to Apple Podcasts, iTunes. If you have an Apple product where you listen to this podcast and leave this show a review, you are free to send me a message or email. Contact information is in the description below. Thank you again for listening and thank you for your contributions in helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen.